Chat with Christian Hunters of America. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, everybody. Mike Ronoski here. We are excited because we have a second podcast with George Richardson and Corky Richardson, who you've heard previously speak about the Richardson family uh, name and how that whole family has been involved in hunting for a long time and the fellowship that comes along with that and the friends made with that. This particular podcast is going to be all about bison hunting in northern Arizona. Good afternoon, Corky. Good afternoon. Tatanka time, right? That's right. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. All right. And hello, George. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Doing great. So, George, I think you're one of the first people probably uh, harvested a bison up there many, many years ago. So, I think with, with, a, with a bow. With a bow and arrow, which is absolutely just mind boggling. We think about the technology of where bows have come. So, I'm thinking let's for a lot of us and even I didn't even know the history of bison until I got to really know know you guys and hear your stories and kind of being around you but do you guys want to kind of start off with the history of bison hunting what that looked like in Arizona and how you guys kind of got got involved and I know at one point you guys were looked upon as the premier people to be part of every bison hunt so when I know in the early 2000s when I had interest and I started building up bonus points and everybody said if you ever get a bison hunt you got to Hire and look look for the Richardsons and somehow tie into them and gain their information because if you don't, your success rate is probably going to be very small. And if you do, you have a, a great opportunity. And this was back in the early 2000s. And I know by then you guys had spent many, many years and time up there. So I thought it'd be kind of nice for our listeners to kind of understand the history of bison hunting and where we've kind of gone over the, you know, the last 30 years with it. So, Well, I think uh, Dad killed a bison uh, in the late 80s with a rifle that he had uh, drawn a tag on and so we got interested in trying to get it to where because it was only only way you could do it is you had to shoot it with a rifle in those days they didn't allow archery hunting so we started petitioning around in 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 the early 90s uh, actually 1990 trying to figure out how we could get this done and uh, the game and fish uh, person that was such a um, great help to us was uh, Tysa Plea. She kind of laid out what you need to do in order to get a rule change uh, and what you needed to do to get a weapons change. And we had to build a case and show that the, it was possible to kill a bison with a bow, and it, which I thought was ironic. I thought that was just crazy. I mean, the, the Indians pretty much showed that, that it works, you know. <laughs> I mean, they sustained for thousands of years yeah. by History doing that. It shows that that's capable. Yeah, they showed us that it could be done. But in the modern day, you know, it was just a lot of stuff we had to fight. And uh, I believe we got it approved in, uh, well, I know when it was approved. It was approved in 96. Uh, so the year of 96, if you drew a tag there, they were going to, on an experimental basis, see how um, bison hunting would be, go down with a bow. And we got it passed, and so the only way that Dad could go was to be, buy an auction tag. And we're, you know, Dad's done well. We, we could buy an auction tag if we had to, but he'd rather spend it on something else. And he gave me a credit card, and he said, go get that tag. You know, I went to a banquet to go bid on a tag, and I asked him if I had a limit, and he said, yeah, 5000 That's it. You, you can't go over 5000 <laughs> So 
I came back that night, and I remember, I remember handing him his card back, and I said, boy, it's here. This thing's smoking. <laughs> he said, what'd you do? And I said, ah, just read the bill when it comes. It might have been a little over 5000 but not too much. I think we bought it for 6700 but I didn't even hesitate. I was buying that tag. I knew that that card would go to 20000 I was buying it for twenty if I had to. <laughs> you know, so he shouldn't have given me a credit card. But uh, so the hunt got planned from then on, and um, uh, Pops, I'll let you tell about who we had on it and who who kind of helped us figure all that stuff out. Who we had on the hunt? Yeah, who who helped you out? I mean, uh, that was uh, Jim Bedlin. I know was one of your yeah, you know, Jim and uh, you and Bill so, Bolt, Bill, Bill Bolt, uh, yeah, Bill Bolt up in Payson. Anyway. You were talking about, you know, they were okay and whether it was an archery, you know, whether that would be sufficient to kill a buffalo. Well, the first buffalo I killed, I had a 300 Weatherby mag, and I shot it three times at about 150 yards, and Man. it ran 200 yards before it expired. The one I shot with the bow went about 75 yards. Hmm. Was that with a recurve or with a compound bow? With a compound. Wow. Went about 75 yards and was out of a big herd. And uh, anyway, so it didn't, it's just a matter of where you hit him. But even with the 300, you know, we hit him great, you know, it was right where you'd want to shoot one. Hmm. But the, uh, there's something about a bow or an, you know, an arrow that really has a lot of impact if you, you know, do it right. Well, I think the shock factor is not there. It's you know they die by hemorrhage and you know they're uh, big animals and they don't even know half the time that they're hit. And most of the you know I, I get those calls still because out of the twenty um, bison that are in our uh, sixth edition record book, um, Dad and I were just looking at it, perusing it a little bit. We were on fifteen of those hunts. Wow. That, um, Incredible. So. And the other guys I spent hours and hours with on the phone. They're just, there's actually one guy there that I don't know who he is. <laughs> but everybody else I spent hours you know, on the phone and going over what to do. Uh, everybody worries about penetration and all that kind of stuff. And I tell them, just use your elk hunting rig. That, that's fine for a bison because uh, they, got, they got big ribs and all that, but they're just a big old barrel. You know, um, uh, A lot of ladies, uh, if you're shooting, or a lot of guys, if you're shooting real low poundage, uh, you might want to shoot a two blade. Um, they they penetrate a little better sometimes. But uh, you can see a video of uh, uh, Cindy Richardson shooting one, and uh, it goes right through it. And the 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 timing of that, we had a group filming that. A PSC was filming that. Professional photographer filmed that whole thing. The time that it was hit to the time that it fell over, I think, is seven seconds. Wow. And that was with a two blade. So amazing. Yeah, it it just and a clean pass through. Yeah, clean pass through, and that completed her uh, Big Ten. She was uh, trying to be the first person to get the Big Ten, and that did it. Um, and then another friend of ours from Tucson, Brian uh, Ham, he got it done about an hour and a half later when one came to a water hole. Wow. So, but Incredible. he was second. So he was second. Well, that's great. first man. Uh, yep, she was second first, person. Yep, so. she was the first lady. So back then the. The bison didn't live on the Kaibab on the park. They actually, was there like a migration or something that they would start down low and kind of migrate? You want to kind of talk about the history of the migration, what that looked like and how you would hunt them and how it's a completely different hunt from what we know as of 2021? Well, back then, the uh, biological makeup of a bison, and it's still true today, 
a cow will take, uh, when it's ready to calf, it will go back to where it was born. It's pretty interesting. They've studied that, and uh, that not only to the, the field that they were born, but they'll be within 20 feet of where they were born. It's the craziest thing. It's really cool, I think, that they have that homing radar, that they go right back to where, where they were um, born. They go back to have their calf in the same spot. So for forever, there was no bison that were born up on top. They hadn't tra- uh, traveled up there at that time. Uh, they pretty much, they came down in the, and when I say down, sometimes they just lived in the forest up in the, the coxcombs, which are right behind uh, where the buffalo ranch is up there, in the House Rock Buffalo Ranch. They lived in that area, and then they would drop down in August. Um, they would drop out into the sage flats. And uh, so the way we used to do it is uh, there's a big, uh, um, I guess it's not a park, but it's a, it's a wildlife area there that goes all along one of the roads. And, you, and there's a circle that you would drive, and that big that circle is like 18 miles in the complete circle. You would drag the road. You would drag the road with a, a tree or a, a drag, just something behind your uh, – everybody had all kinds of different things that I've seen over the years. But um, the best one I've seen is, you know, like they drag with a baseball field that, that metal chain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys use fences too, just a big old length of fence. You'd drag the road and just to see if a, bu- a bison had come out into that big expanse of where they go, which is out all the way. And then the tips of that is all the Grand Canyon. So mm-hmm. when you're hunting, you end up hunting right out towards the tip. And the important thing in those days was the water line. There's a water line that had about seven different uh, spots that, that kept the buffalo able to be out there. And uh, they had a tank. Uh, tank two is where the uh, water line is or the water catchment is. And uh, they ran it from a spring, and uh, they kept it nice, full of cold water. And it really helped a lot of animals out there. It it built a a somewhat resident deer herd uh, that would be out there, but uh, not too much, not too many deer. But it did uh, expand. You know, we're we're thinking about the buffalo, but it did allow a bunch of antelope to start living out there. And they're they're still prospering and doing really well. But... As the time went on, they got more and more pressure um, on the outside out there. Not by the outside, I mean the House Rock Ranch. Um, and it eventually, uh, the pressure pushed them up, and they would go up in the in the woods. And they created a trail that comes off the 610 road. That's a big, it's wide as a car back in those days, um, where they would go up and go into the park. Well, all of a sudden, we had some uh, new bison that showed up. We had They did that to change the herd out a little bit, and they brought some new bison in that didn't know where to calf. They hadn't, you know, they were from another state. So they went up and calved where it makes all the sense in the world. In the summer, you know, in those beautiful, lush meadows, uh, nothing's more private and quiet and green and water than the park. So they went to the park. So that kind of started that herd off that way. You know, we and for a long time the buffalo were maintained at about 100, 150 head. That was what they wanted to do, and now I believe it's pushing about 800. Wow. It's 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 really been prolific. It's got a lot of them, but uh, most of those all live in the park. Hmm. So uh, and but it took a while for that to happen. Mm-hmm. It took years and years for that to to you know come down. But uh, I don't believe there's a bison alive today up on the park that was born. Uh, down at the House Rock Ranch. So they don't know that. They don't know to migrate to that. Um, however, still, there's some of them that will do it. Um, uh, bison are really cool at uh, using old trails. And I know when you killed yours, um, 
with a bow the first time that uh, you had a young guy that was hunting with you. And uh, we watched, we knew a trail that that buffalo would go up, and we're, we're three miles away from that trail. But that buffalo started heading that way, and, you know, uh, Jim Badlin was the guy, it was his son. He says, I know where that thing's going to go. He went over there and just sat and waited on it, and he shot it at just point-blank range because they, they are very... Um, they're very good with their sniffer. Yeah. <laughs> they follow trails. Hmm. So, but uh, I don't know. The dynamics of the hunt was, uh, you know, you can. It, it's different today. Uh, hunting's hunting, and it's a lot of fun. But uh, it's a lot funner to me to be able to be go and just have the animal in the unit that you're hunting. And unfortunately, today, uh, most of the time, the bison are not even in the unit. You have to wait till they come out. And the way they do that, the way they draw them out is, uh, and it's all legal, um, they draw them out with uh, salt blocks and salt licks and uh, some water holes, but mostly salt blocks that uh, are set up. And we learned that early on. Uh, Jim Bedlin is one of the first ones and, and, and myself to start putting out salt blocks. And uh, then some other guys jumped on it and uh, started putting out salt blocks too. But it's just to us, and I probably would think most hunters, it's a lot funner to be able to go out and, and satisfying, I know, to be able to work ridges and get up on top of points and glass out in those juniper and sage flat um, areas and try and glass up one. It allows you to be a little more selective, find a big bull or if that's what you want, and um, go after that. So I just know over the years it's, it's kind of expanded into, um, you know, lots more buffalo, but uh, you sit on a, on a salt block and you just wait and wait and wait. And there's stories of guys putting in 60 days and not seeing one. It's just it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah, crazy, uh, crazy. Midsummer, they like to come out most of the time in midsummer. So if you get those summer tags, uh, I know that there's a tag that you know starts in January and goes through um, just to where summer starts, but uh, gives you a lot of time. But unless you got a snowmobile, most of the time it's inaccessible. You gotta, you know, we I went in one time with a hunter and we killed. Actually, we killed the number. Um, two buffalo at the time. I, I ended up lucky enough and fortunate enough a long time ago that I, I was able to take the world record. Um, and then I guided uh, my son on one, which uh, he had the number two, and then I replaced him by guiding another guy on. <laughs> yeah, that was a good family deal yep, there, huh? exactly. Yeah. And uh, he replaced him, and then I guided another guy that replaced all of them, pushed them all down, and that was uh, Chase Fulcher. But, um, yeah, it... It's just, uh, in those days, you could hunt them. You could actually go out and find them. And some of those videos you can see, you can Google Cindy's name or you can Google Russ Richardson's name, and you'll see those bison hunts. PSE film put some films out there, too, of uh, their hunts. And you get to see what it used to be like. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still an animal, still a species, and it's just got a diff different tactics. You know, you got to change all the time. And uh, there's just different tactics that you use now. And... Uh, there's a great guy up there that uh, there's all kinds of guys that guide, but uh, there's one guy up there that's kind of taken over that and kind of created like a, a bison co-op, he calls it, and uh, Russ Jacoby uh, with uh, Mossback and uh, Chad Woodruff. They, they work together, and uh, they, they do a heck of a deal up there. You know, even if you don't book with them, they still will help organize you because if everybody's going around, you know, the best deal is go and sit and not run around. Uh, and by running around, you might bump the herd coming off in another canyon or everything. So 
if you just kind of work together, and he's good at that. He kind of organizes that. Um, he keeps track where they're at, and uh, he'll let guys, um, you know, he helps. He's very helpful, um, and he'll organize a camp because there's different groups of tags that you can buy or, or get drawn for. And um, if everybody just kind of works together as kind of a co-op, uh, your chances are a lot better of making something happen. You don't have to do that, but yep. uh, I know there's hunts up there that where there's been – several times where there's 10 tags and all the guys that worked in the co-op nine out of the 10 they killed the one guy that was a renegade didn't kill amazing that's happened three times that i know of so that's just kind of a a deal it's a it's a kumbaya hunt you got to kind of work together it's very similar to a sheep hunt you know i've never met a guy that had a sheep tag in a unit that you got drawn for last year or this year that if that guy got drawn last year or 20 years before that he'll tell you everything he knows because uh, there's no need to hold them back information. We're there to help each other. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So why not? It's a once-in-a-lifetime tag. And there is something unbelievable about being able to um, harvest a bison with a bow. It just seems like it's the right thing to do. Um, it's just, you know, just there's something spiritual about it almost, yeah. you know, <laughs> standing over a bison with a bow. Um, and they're very easy to kill with one, you know, one arrow kills. Uh, you just got to shoot them and be smart, act like an elk and... You know, if you if you make a bad hit, you got to wait a while. Just everything else, you know, that you got to do. So, for some of our listeners that uh, may or may not be from Arizona, what Corky's talking about the once in a lifetime aspect for our bighorn sheep and our buffalo is, yeah, if if you got drawn and you didn't successfully harvest those animals, you you could draw again. The chances of that happening are are super slim. But if you successfully punch your tag on a buffalo or a bighorn sheep in Arizona, uh, our game and fish regs say that's a once in a lifetime just because of the fact that it's uh, it's a resource that's not as widespread as our elk and our deer populations. So we have to uh, abide by those rules, but um, that's why a lot of those hunters are willing to give that information out, I think, because they realize that you've been waiting a long time and that they're willing to give that information and help you because they want to see a success. They want to see you be successful. And when you get an elk tag, you got a lot of friends that are going to help you. But when you get a buffalo or a bighorn sheep tag, everybody and their brother wants to come out and experience that because they may have never been on that, you know, and they could be hunting for 20, 30 years themselves and have never been drawn. That's just, um, a testament of one, your friends see how much they want to come and, and back and and have they have a strong back and whether they want to come help pack that animal out, but also they want to experience that too and uh, and be a part of that. So, and it's uh, funny, you know, a lot of guys they they have the experience of a bison where they go see them in a park somewhere. They go to Yellowstone and the bison walk right up to the truck and all that kind of stuff. That that's not a reality check. Uh, everybody asks me, what's the hardest animal you ever hunted? Because I've killed everything in Arizona with a bow, except for a, one turkey and, uh, fixing, and a rocky sheep tag. But we're going to take care of that. We're going to take care of that turkey situation in just a couple of weeks <laughs> because I drew that permit. Finally. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, bison by far. I hunted nine days before I cut the first track. Nine days. You hunted nine days without even seeing a bison. Not even, not even seeing one, never laying eyes on one. I do believe that we were on, on uh, tracks of uh, two of them on one day. They came all the way down. We had to hunt. We hunted the west side um, trying to uh, 
we had gone over there and done some scouting. We found three bulls that were living way out on Swats Point, way on the west side. And uh, one, of, one of those got killed opening morning, um, and I knew, where that, I knew where those buffalo were at, and there was three tags in those days, and um, that guy had one. And at the bison meeting the night before, I was uh, with a friend, and that was way over on the other side, so it's like a three-hour drive from the west side back over to the east side, the way you got to take the winter route in those days. Uh, so we're there at the meeting, and the other fella that had a tag, uh, he was from Tucson. And he was a, was a really old. They were over 70-plus brothers that were there, and they had drawn a tag. They had been up there for a week and had not seen a bison. And I just left uh, 150 of them that I'd found on the east side. They had one four-year-old bull, and I was looking for something maybe a little bigger than that. And, uh, but it was good to know that you'd seen some bison. And so we went to the meeting, and I'll never forget my, my – uh, hunting partner phil dalrymple says don't you dare do it and i he knew what was coming i saw these guys and i thought of my dad and i thought of guys that are just out there doing that together as a family and i said hey what are you guys looking for oh we're going to shoot a calf if we can they said we we don't care we haven't seen one in a week and i said well i think i know where you're camped and they told me and i said yeah i said they were a half mile away from you tonight i said i just left them there's 150 head out there and um I told him what road to go on and, and uh, you know look for him in the morning. And as we drove away, Phil was like, "You know what? I, I don't I don't get you. I don't understand what. Why would you give up the one thing that we had?" And I said, "You know what, Phil? I'm just not worried about. It. Some reason I got a feeling that we're going to be blessed. Don't worry about it." And so then we drove him back and opening day, the the other guy out there that I let that herd go to, he killed his. And so we were the last of the Mohicans and. Uh, Anyway, I, I think I'll let Dad tell the rest of that story because he was there with me all along, and uh, which in my lifetime he's been right beside me on everything I've ever done. That's, I love all those pictures I got with me and my pops. But Dad, why don't you tell him about when we decided to leave the west side and go over <laughs> to the east side? <laughs> anyway, we went over there and it was right there on the mountain where you come up on that two thirteen road. It goes all the way across the east side game trail they call it. So we get up there and we was walking actually we were going over into coxcombs to try to find where there was some you know every now and then there'd be buffalo to get in there instead and so we walk up there and it was a snow on the ground and there was two sets of tracks coming into this little some kind of a water trap there wasn't it wasn't a tank or nothing but anyway I told Courtney, I said, these are buffalo tracks, but, you know, I've never been able to tell the difference in a buffalo and a cow track. They're all, to me, they look the same. So ah, and he just chased them. Him and Phil had been on them for chasing it, and one of them, I think, you did wind up one in a bull or something. Yeah, we we had one, and we knew we had, you don't know if you're on a buffalo. You know, we were in snow. We were in 24 inches of snow, so it's not like you get yeah. to look down really good at the track and – we knew that we had a bison, though, because we came to a barbed wire fence, and there was tracks up to the fence, and then there were tracks about 10 foot on the other side of the fence. They so that can jump over the fence? They can jump fences. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he jumped the fence, and we took him around and brought him all the way back, and uh, it got so deep that Phil and I were both big, tall guys, but we couldn't lift our hips anymore in that snow and um, get to where we could uh, 
and I told Phil, I said, well, if you just look at our topo maps, it, they're headed back to the other side. <laughs> you know, they're six miles across there, but it's, you know, 65 miles back around there. So I said, let's just go to the other side. I'm tired of doing all this, looking for, you know, wading in that snow. And we had a limited time then. I think we only had 30 days in those days. Now you get four or five months, and uh, then you get 14 days on the July hunts. And uh, those are actually, I, I believe, the most successful hunts. If I had one today, I'd rather have one of those than I had that big, long hunt. But uh, Anyway, Corky and I got up there, and we found these traps, and he was set on going over in the coxcombs, you know, and I said, Corky, I'm telling you, these are buffalo. When they've been coming in, you could tell with the snow, because there were, you know, two animals coming in, and every day they go to that water. I'm going on over here, he said, and so he started walking up the hill, so I turned around and followed the freshest tracks about probably 20 yards, and what they'll do is a buffalo, he'll get in the rubbing, and he'll go around and around a tree, and just wear a path around that tree. Hmm. Interesting. And hair all over, the, you know, where the tree he was rubbing on. So yeah. I got me a big handful of that. Caught up with Corky, and I said, uh, Corky, what do you think this is? Where'd you get that? <laughs> I said, that's that trail I tried to get you to go on down here, that buffalo. I said, that's a buffalo. I said, good-sized one, too. There's two of them. And... Well, he took off, got down there, and he went on his own then. I wasn't with him because he was, I couldn't keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, not was, too many people can. Yeah. <laughs> Even in his, it yep. was, anyway, exactly. he went down there, and Phil had went back to Tucson, headed back. But anyway, he went down there, and I, he went on down the hill, and he come back, and we were up, I was up on a ledge here, kind of, and the buffalo came by me with an arrow sticking out of it. So I knew he'd shot it, so he'd come right back and within about probably 10 yards of me and went across, and here come Corky right behind it. Just, I think it was in your uh, sock. Yeah, I'd, I'd taken my boots off to stock it, and uh, I was in my sock feet in about a foot of snow. <laughs> he never did see me standing on the bank, so I tell him, you know, I finally got him to see me, and I told him just hold up, and he was, and he was right after it, and yeah. got another arrow in it, and... Uh, how big a smile? Just, huh? How big a smile did he oh. have when you saw him coming he up was, the snow? He was serious about getting to that, <laughs> getting wow. to that animal. But the best part of the whole deal is we, you know, how sometimes they don't. People will say, you know, like him and I are out hunting together, and they they don't accept the fact that it was an archery kill. So we went down and got the guy that at that time that I didn't think knew a whole lot about buffalo, but maybe he did. We got him out of bed and brought him back up to make sure that it was an archery kill. Yeah, we just had him verify it. So Yeah. And uh, so Corky calls Phil, and Phil's in Flagstaff going back to Tucson, so he turns around and comes back. But the best part of this whole story was that night about 12, 1 o'clock, Phil accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Yep, that's that is quirky. Uh, so here we, if, if if we remember back to the Richardson podcast we did a while back, and we talked about the impacts of the lives of others. So, so now Corky shoots the world record buffalo. Um, Phil was up there, you know, one of his best friends up there the whole time. 
you know, fellowship, helping him hunt. He had to go back. He drives three hours from probably where your camp was, maybe four hours, gets back to Flagstaff. Right. He gets the phone call that, hey, I shot a buffalo, and he immediately turns around and drives another three to four hours, come back up. And so now talk about after eight hours of drive time by Phil and the fellowship of, you know, all these days of <clears throat> hunting and hunting, then all of a sudden it comes together. And as you just said, Phil kind of accepts Christ, you know, based on that. So let's, let's kind of expand on that because that is a, a very impactful thing and what you guys do and how hunting is, is, is a core value of, of your life through the impact of others. So, fact is, we got to express that down at uh, one of the banquets we went to. And what was it? Three of us got some kind of award or something. Anyway. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I asked Corky, I said, what was the most important thing? And I said, the most important, I was telling the audience then, I said, the most important thing on this hunt up there, when we got that, when Corky got that number one buffalo, and uh, I told him, I said, it was my adopted son <clears throat> accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior that yeah. night. So I said that was the most exciting for me, anyway. Yeah, it was exciting that we got, you know, he got the buffalo too, whether it was number one or whatever it was. So but it's funny how God can use the number one buffalo in the world to bring one people to get to know him a little closer, you know, and to and to bring him home, you know. Yeah, and Phil had been in our family. He's kind of, you know, he's a CPA. So everything just always... Yep, black and white numbers. Black and, and white. Yep, exactly. I can calculate yeah. everything. I think him and Corky started hunting together when they were, what, 15, 14? Yeah. Yeah. long time ago. They didn't shoot together. That's when they became acquainted. Both. Well, Phil's dad, um, Tom Dalrymple, he's the guy that started the bow hunting in Arizona record book. Interesting. Great. And, uh, yeah, he, he's the original guy. Hmm. And, anyway, uh, they uh, he had been at our house and, you know... The thing, this is what I was talking about a while ago when I said that you, you do it by example. You don't, you know, you set an example. It's not about what you say, but it's what you do, how you live. And Phil had been with our family for since, what, how old were you guys when you killed that buffalo? I don't know. I, I know that uh, I had uh, black hair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they were up in the age, and Phil had never accepted Jesus Christ. Yep. And just that hunt, he and he was one of those guys that in a year he knew more about scripture than a lot of people that's been in it all their life. He's just one of those type of guys. Yep. Twenty fifth of March of '02 is when it was. Wow. I remember what what he told me. He said uh, very. He's a very intellectual guy, and he says he's laying. We're laying there on the cot, and he says I just can't figure out what to do with Jesus. And I said, What's that? I've tried myself to figure out. And try and prove that he was a liar, and he said, "I can't." He, he had done all of his research and all that, and uh, he said, "I just." I said, "Well, then, Phil, what you got to figure is maybe he is who he said he was." And I said, "But and if that's true, there's something you got to do, and you know what that is." And he says, "I do, and I'm ready." And uh, that was cool. That was really Amazing. neat. So. Amazing. So have that that night with the world record buffalo outside your tent and all the things that led up to that. It's just truly amazing when you think about here you wanted a bison, you know, your whole life, and that's that was your focus. And really, it was the it was the secondary thing that impacted your life, and it wasn't the bison. Yeah. You know. So, and what's interesting too is I know I've heard the story a few times, and 
just by saying the word bison, the number one bison, that story, the story that comes out of it is the Phil story, which has nothing to do with the bison, but it's more of the, the Richardson legacy and, and the impacts. And what, what point did Phil have that kind of epiphany? Was it he'd been thinking about it a long time or and just was weighing on his mind? Or did it really set into his mind when he started driving back and knew that your faith, even after giving that information to, to a couple other hunters, that your faith and your belief that you knew you were going to have a successful hunt because you put your faith in Jesus, that Corky got it done. How did how did he have that strong uh, belief that he was still going to be successful? And did well, he did he elaborate on on any of that? He's like every other human in the world. He, we're all searching. We're searching for truth. We're searching for what's true and real. And um, I think what set it off, though, I mean, to where he just he, and he had studied a long time trying to figure it out. You know, because he's not he doesn't make decisions um, just wantonly. He he makes good decisions when he makes decisions. And, uh, but what kind of set it off is when I felt compelled to help those old guys on the, the two old other guys uh, from Tucson um, and gave up what was super precious to me. I never scouted for something more in my life than I did for those bison. And in a, just a, a minute, I was just, I knew that I was supposed to go help those guys. And when we left there, he just was on me. He's just like, that's the dumbest thing. And, you know what? We're supposed to stand out sometimes. If we don't, if we blend in and look like everybody else, then there's no difference. But I think that was a standout thing, and I, I'm not saying it for any glory at all. Um, it just I knew to say that, and uh, it was funny because I went back to dad. I was I was one, you know back to the camp on the other side. We didn't get back to like one in the morning because we drove all the way around on that road from where the meeting was, and uh, Phil kind of ratted me out a little bit. He's like, "You ain't gonna believe what he did. He gave up our ace in the hole." And Dad's like, ah, we'll get a bigger one than that. He said, we're not worried about those. And uh, he's just like, well, that's where he learned it from is right there. And that is. That's, you know, um, don't be afraid to give and um, and uh, help people. I don't know of, you know, you know, a lot of you guys on this podcast, I don't know n modern day of anybody um, that helps people out more than Mike Ornosky. Mike's got a bunch of knowledge all over the country that and especially in Arizona and Mike bends over backwards to help people and I gave Mike I think the best compliment I could ever give him and I said when it comes to people that have the heart that I know of that are like my dad I said you're probably one of the closest guys I know to do that and I mean it's a great testimony to you I mean you don't get to know all this stuff yeah. you know it's it's god given it really is and uh, we're supposed to be out there helping each other. Now, that doesn't mean that anybody gets a tag. They're going to call us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're going to run over and do it. But I can tell you that it probably does mean that. I mean, if if you can help somebody. And uh, we all do that. That's And that's what the Christian hunters are all about, too. The Christian hunters of America, they're about helping people um, in hunts. And, you know, how many women have we taken, single moms, and um, had their kids be successful and them, too? And it's just flowered into just this great relationship to where, uh, you know, they go out and they enjoy the outdoors and all that. And it's all because somebody cared. Somebody, you know, cared a bit at, at one time and decided to help help somebody out. That's what we're supposed to do. So nope. it just boils down to the simple fact of actions speak louder than words. Exactly. 
It, I mean, it sounds simple. People say that in their lives every day, but it couldn't be more true on uh, on showing your faith on something so simple that a lot of people take for granted. But if you live the life and you show it, you don't need to talk about it because people are going to see how you live and uh, how you conduct yourself and um, how you raise up your family and how you, you put God at the top and uh, love your family. And everybody else is going to realize um, real quickly how you feel about about everything in life. You don't need to talk about it because you're showing it. Yeah. And the other part is, is we're all failures. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing is I think I make more mistakes than anybody. I think that's the part is know that we're all going to fall short and we're all going to wrong somebody. We're going to say something and, you know, but we all got to be strong enough to apologize and stand up and know that, you know, sometimes it just, we, we screw up and we got to just move on, you know, because relationships and friendships, I mean, that's what's life impactful. So, and what I want to encourage everybody, you know, that's listening is, is we all have our, our circles and our friends and impacts. And, you know, if there's somebody that's in your life that you love hunting with and maybe something, and they, when hunting gets, sometimes it gets, you know, egos happen and things happen and you're, you're trying to kill something and you blame somebody and things, or you think something could go a certain way is maybe you're listening today just to maybe make that phone call and, and say, Hey man, I apologize. You know what? I didn't mean what I said. And maybe you guys haven't talked for a couple of years because I know there's uh, probably more than a handful. I probably can't even count how many times I've been on a hunt with somebody and, you know, the pressure gets there or whatever it is and just somebody took something wrong and it really didn't mean that. Or we said, hey, we're going to show up, we're going to do this for you and we forgot about it or we showed up late or we have all those different things that happen. But I, but I do want you guys to know that out there that every one of us can make it right and, and none of us are perfect. We can we can move on and because it's truly it's about the relationships and the impact that we have on, on each of us that, that allows us to, you know, to do what we do in the world. And, and as we heard from George, and Corky today, it's it's making the difference in lives of others, and sometimes we have to use hunting to do that, and and that's why I've been involved with CHA for you know poaching twenty years, and what a lot of people don't know is CHA is a hundred percent volunteer organization for almost twenty years. You know, there's not one paid person. We all do this based on the love of of what we do. You know, and the money that we raise goes right back in the community and the things that we do, and that's that's why we're here. So, um, but. I'm going to start getting teared up to here. So here's well, supposed to be a bison know, thing, but go ahead, George. So. You know, Mike, uh, too, is people have a problem sometimes apologizing because you always hear that expression. They'll say, well, I didn't do nothing wrong. I don't know what he's upsetting me about. Yep. You know, that's, a, that's it, it doesn't take a, you know, it's, if you're going to apologize to someone, I've apologized to a lot of people. When I didn't really do anything to offend them, but they thought I did. Yep. And if it takes an apology to mend a friendship, then it's worth it. You know, yep. you don't have to be, you know, find something that you know you didn't do anything. Yep. Sometimes exactly. it's hard to take the high road, but when you look back on it, that was always the right decision. Yeah. No. I'll share one thing that uh, there was one time that I don't know, Dad and I were fired up at each other i don't know what we did but um finally i went over and apologized because i just didn't want it to go on anymore and um i had that opportunity and dad was reciprocal of it and um we we buried it and ended it right there it's just dumb you know and i had a friend that called me and he was fired up at his dad and he's like i didn't do nothing he's this he's that and i said you want to win you're a winner 
and I know you, man. You're a winner. And I said, yeah, first one to say sorry wins, and you do. It's true. It's, <laughs> so it's if you want to win, end it. Yep. So 100%. 100%. So no. And I think that's a testament to every every one of us. You know, we're all every one of us that walks this earth can take that and you know and just look in the mirror and say, what can I do better? You know, and make a difference. And little did we know that we're talking bison, but you know what? Sometimes as men, we gotta call each other out. And I think that's one of Corky's statements is you know, and everything that he does when it's hunting, there's always an underlying thing that's gonna open up a door and to challenge somebody. And I think, too, any of the ones that have been around our hunting elk seminars that we've done for the last 10, 12 years, where Corky kind of leads it, I think that's one of the main reasons why he gets on stage is to challenge men. You know, he may be using the elk seminar and giving tremendous knowledge, but it's it's the impact of that it makes on all of us. So, Corky and George, can you uh, lead us in uh, some parting words, leave us in some parting words on, on uh, faith and bison hunting? Anything else that you'd like to speak about? Uh, I can, I'm going to let Dad finish, but so I'll say this first. Uh, if you draw a bison tag, just be patient. It, most of the guys and, and work together. Um, they're, again, kind of, you know, not, not be the guy out. I got the secret water hole, and I don't want nobody to know about it. That's not what works anymore in bison. I know it's foreign thinking, but it's not. Uh, you got to work together with the guys, and uh, um, there's guys up there that are running that kind of thing. And I used to do it, but I, I've kind of retired from it. Um, but. Just, I would say on the bison part, just uh, work together and you'll, you'll have a much better chance. Uh, up until last year, everybody that really put in, you got to have a lot of time, um, but everybody that would put in a couple of weeks would get an opportunity. Uh, but a couple of years ago, there was a deal where people hunted 60 days and straight and never saw one. So, but... It's going to happen. I mean, we got 800 animals over there by just them getting lost. One of them is going to drift by. So, you know. Yep, that's true. All right, Pops. Well, you know, it's just like hunting. People miss out on the best part of a hunt. You're sitting in a blind or wherever, tree stand, or if you're out stalking or whatever. There's nothing any more exciting to me than to watch of a morning when the sun starts coming up and God wakes up his creation and you're sitting out there enjoying that. So don't miss that part of your hunt. To me, that's the most that's the most hmm. part yep. of a hunt that I have is the yep. best part of it. Yep. It's just being in, in his creation and knowing that he created all this stuff for us to enjoy. Yep, it's a great perspective. Great we perspective. need to take care of that because he you know he intended like I said before he intended for us to care for that because we're all you know we're obligated to that yep. he turned it over to us but it's just I was sitting up on a black mountain archery hunting by myself corking them had to go back and so I was there with myself and I was sitting on a it chopped me out of place in a tree <laughs> sitting up in a tree and just climbed up in a tree, huh? Just in a bush, you know, like <laughs> he climbed up in a tree and just cut out one limb and just said, oh, I'll just sit here. It, it cut our circulation off in five minutes, we couldn't do it. Anyway, but, I sit there for a long time and it just actually, I was praying and there was a little peninsula come out and it was a big lake that I was sitting on. And I thought, you know, there's no way if something comes in, I'll shoot it anyway. But if it could come on that point right there. <laughs> I, I'd have a shot. 
So I was praying, you know, I usually show up my eyes when I'm praying and things. Anyway, I looked up, and there stood two bucks right there on that little point. And the biggest one was closest to me. <laughs> he, was a, he was a dandy. He he netted, or he grossed over 200 and netted down in the 90s, a big old buck. So. Anyway, it reminded me of this because I was telling, I went back to that, uh, what is that deal in Kanab there, that shop where they have uh, all the trophy mule deer? Yeah, um, yeah. Every time I go in there, the guy hollers, oh, there's, there's he is, there he is, George. You remember he's sitting up in the tree praying and killed that big buck and all this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Mealy crazy. Mealy yeah. crazy, yeah. 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 No. But it was just, you know, to me it was, and I called them and I didn't even follow up because I knew they'd be up there, they on a corky boat, so <laughs> they got there in time, but. Well, just yes, just yes. have fun, man. Yeah. Just figure out any kind of hunting you're doing, figure out a way to have fun. Yeah. Um, if you're not having fun, find something else you like to do. But find something that you, it, you can make it fun. <laughs> and I'll have to tell you about one, one quick thing before we go. Um, they, I heard somebody ask Phil one day, because Phil had two tags. He had an oxen tag and he had a regular drawn tag. And that drawn tag, I think he hunted, I don't know, 21 days, something like that. And... They asked him, well, what do you do in the tree there? And he says, uh, uh, I read the Bible. And they said, oh, you read the Bible? No. The other pronunciation, I read the Bible. He said, <laughs> from the whole thing. He said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes a little while. you got to be patient. Um, yep. You can't make it happen. you just got to let it happen. Yep. So you're out of control. You just have to let it come. Yep. So. And that's one thing about our buffalo herds now is – uh, as the listeners are kind of understanding, if you're starting to think about buffalo, just know that it's a the new buffalo hunting is a time consuming where you're probably gonna be sitting dark to dark and a lot of time and working with a group of other hunters and a partnership and hoping there's an opportunity they're going to come into that water source or that salt lick where it could happen in hours or it might take 10, 12, 15, 20 days based on that season. So, um, but again, do your research and uh, as Corky said, there is a few outfitters um, that are. Very involved in that, and I think he's out of Flagstaff. His name is Russ, I believe, Corky said. Yeah, Russ Jacoby and uh, Chad Woodruff. And uh, that would be the, the two individuals that we would recommend that you get contact with them if you have any more questions because they're on the ground up there, and they I mean, they, they basically live, eat, breathe the bison kite up there. So. And uh, Jim Bedlin, you know, he's probably done it longer than anybody. And the fun thing about Jim is if you're not seeing bison, then he'll have he'll take his dogs out and you go catch a lion, and he'll get that done too. So. It just he has fun. If you want to have a lot of fun, there's nobody on this planet you'll have more fun hunting with than Jim Bell. I Bedlin. remember one of the hunts we had was Amy up there. Yeah. So we went up and had the dogs and the snowmobiles, and he had antique things that did go over the snow. <laughs> yep. And uh, what we killed two mountain lion. Two mountain lion, and, uh, a, buffalo. a buffalo, and two transmissions. We killed two transmissions too. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So, uh, again, we want to thank you guys for the podcast. We're going to end us in prayer. So um, I'll end us. Then uh, we look forward to having you guys uh, reach out to us. Um, if there's any questions, concerns, uh, you know, Christian Hunters America, info at org. So, Lord God in heaven, we just come to you, Lord, just uh, giving you all praise and glory, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as as men, Lord, and, and fellowship, and just to talk hunting as it pertains to bison. But... As you can feel and sense, Lord, and, and we know that 
your Holy Spirit works through the Richardson family, Lord, and that is just so contagious, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that our listeners that are listening, Lord, that they would feel that Holy Spirit, Lord, and ask those doors to be open, Lord. And if they have any questions as it, as it comes to accepting you, Lord, that, that they would find somebody, Lord, that they know that they can trust to, to, to ask those hard questions. Lord, we just ask that you bless us, keep us, and we give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Christian Hunters of America podcast. If you have any prayer requests or you require any information, please look us up on christianhuntersofamerica.org or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram under Christian Hunters of America.